It's uh, Swing Thoughts, and uh, welcome to our first show of 2016. I'm Howard. This is Tim. Good morning. Tim's a uh, longtime uh, golf writer, uh, many books. He's uh, eminently qualified, currently the swing coach of uh, the Glen Abbey Academy. It's funny because I was there yesterday. Are you not normal? Sorry, the mental coach. You're not the swing coach. I'm mental, for sure. You are the mental performer. It's funny, I can see your plaque, and I'm not talking about your teeth. Um, I went there yesterday. I walk in and I saw they at the beginning at the Glen, Abbey, Glen Abbey Academy in Oakville, Ontario. They got this uh, Sean Casey and all these plaques. And then I see my boy Tim O'Connor, mental performance coach. You got your own little thing there now. I know. I took a picture of it and put it on Facebook and everything. Aw, that was like you're like a little girl in grade nine. Well, no, that was six months ago, but still, it was cool. It is cool. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's uh, who you're talking to. Uh, our show now up on iTunes. You can subscribe to it as a podcast. It's a huge step. Uh, we got a big show for you today. Uh, in a second or two, we're going to speak to uh, someone that's been guiding uh, the latest Canadian golf phenomenon, Brooke Henderson. Her uh, coach is going to be with us. And later on in the program, it's going to be interesting. We have this sort of premise, this idea, this paradigm that, you know, 18 handicapped golfers can become better players using a, a different mental approach. And maybe using some of the best practices of scratch and, and plus handicapped golfers. Is that not one of our premises? That is. You okay. nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> One reason I say I, you're looking at me like, I don't know, I've never seen this man before. I'm focused. I'm how looking did, at you. How did he get in here? So we've got a, uh, an 18 handicapper, Rob Jacoby, and a uh, scratch plus one handicapper, Paul Gortner. In a few minutes' time, we're going to talk to them about their approach to golf and what each of them uh, can learn from maybe improving their mental performance and uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, it's sound, be, it sounds like a real show. Yeah, it is. We got guests and everything. They're even sitting here. Oh, I know people are. This is the first time we've ever had people in the studio besides my dog watching us do this. Uh, it is as we do the show today, Saturday, January 9th. Whenever you're downloading this as a podcast, just to give you some context. Jordan Spieth is currently tied. No, I'm sorry. He's currently in five, he's got a four or five shot lead in Hawaii at the Tournament of Champions. I think the biggest question in golf in 2016 is. Uh, will he win another major before the rest of his hair disappears? <laughs> <laughs> Those are important questions. <laughs> you notice golf. he's at the point now. He's at that uh, point where Stuart Sink was and Jim Furyk was, where at the end of a round, he doesn't take his hat off anymore. He just, <laughs> like, Rob's laughing. I'm right, though. Yeah. He just lifts it up a bit. Yeah, that's right. Well, he doesn't have, like, the big, um, you know, the... What was it? The tan line, you know, like when uh, Patrick Reed takes his hat off. Yeah. Oh my God! You could you could let this space for rent on his forehead. Seriously, have you seen the tan line when Stuart Sink takes his hat off? <laughs> Honest to God, like do something, get a spray tan. You can get uh, lights for that. These are the uh, big <laughs> issues that we're going to discuss with our uh, our guest today. A little bit later on, our first guest. Uh, you know um, him. Uh, you should know him. A national team head coach. Uh, for Golf Canada the last four years, and uh, all kinds of credentials. I guess the most recent and notable is that uh, he's been guiding Brooke Henderson. Please welcome to our show, Tristan Mullally. Have I pronounced your name How are you correct? guys? Yeah, for sure. That's perfect. You're, you're one, one in a hundred who got it right. Tristan Mullally, <laughs> originally from Smith's Falls. No. Uh, so, no, Brooke Henderson's from Smith Falls. You think I, sh- I would have read some of this stuff? He's from Ireland. Oh, you are from Ireland. 
So when did you first meet? When did you first meet Brooke Henderson? Um, in 2011, in uh, September. So she just turned 14 years old. Do you have? A, did you have a sense when you first met her that she had uncommon talent? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'd obviously heard of Brooke. Um, she's someone as a junior who'd, who'd played a lot and uh, had walked the fairways watching her sister. Um, her sister, her older sister, Brittany, was a part of the national team program before I, I was involved. And uh, so her name was certainly in, in, in circles. But uh, until I'd seen her, um, you know, I kind of kept uh, and reserved my own opinion. Um, but, uh, yeah, as soon as I watched her play in practice, it was, uh, it was very impressive, even from an early age. When you say very impressive, was it um, apparent to you that this was a possible uh, phenom, that this was someone you know cut from a different cloth than the average player? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, at that point in time, she was still very young. You know, I, I think it's easy to, to throw labels at junior golfers in terms of here's somebody who has the talent to go there. But I think her approach was very different. You know, she... Uh, she had a slightly different background. You know, she played lots of different sports. She was a goalkeeper for hockey. Um, and you could see it in the way she practiced. You know, she was very um, visibly engaged with uh, hitting balls and, and, you know, creating environments for herself. And, you know, an avid listener in terms of when we talked about something and engaged and then would question afterwards. You know, she was just someone who, you know, you could see was just paying attention to everything. And, and that's that's not as familiar with uh, with younger golfers as you would think. Tristan, I'm just curious, at some point, you know, lots of uh, people that Tim works with at Glen Abbey and, uh, and a friend of ours, Sean Casey, and, and other golfers work with young juniors, and they, and they all have a lot of physical ability. But when do you look at somebody and think, wow, you know, this person, not only do they have uh, good ball striking uh, competence, but they're able to get the ball in a hole at 14, 15, 16, or whatever, in a way that others of their age don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that would be the million-dollar question. You know, I think if we had a recipe for it. We would, uh, we'd all be making lots of cash. But uh, well, how do you recognize you know, think, it? When was the first time you thought, "Hmm, this girl's uh, better than just some kid on a range that can hit a good golf shot"? No, I, I think it was in, a, in her whole approach. You know, I think uh, uh, it wasn't just standing on the range hitting balls. That was for sure. It was uh, just who she was. You know, she's she was confident in herself. Without being cocky, she, uh, you know, when she went through. Um, any kind of practice, it was always a plan. Um, when she was on the golf course, she was very into the planning of things so that she could make and take advantage of anything that she could. You know, there was just a level of engagement that, that you don't normally associate with uh, with a younger golfer. And, and you know, she was really in tune. And I think that that's a massive part of when you practice, that if you engage in the same way as you feel like you can when you play, well then, you know, it's not it's not only a rehearsal, it's actually, a, you know, you're preempting the kind of performance that you're going to get. And, you know, she was very, very good and, and in the rehearsal and had lots of rituals around the rehearsal so that when she played, it looked like she was still having fun. It looked like she was still on the practice area or, or engaging with friends. And, and that's unusual for junior golfers, and that's something that makes you stand out. You know, most, uh, most junior golfers, when they go to a big event or wherever, they, you know, they look around them a lot and they change yeah. their viewpoint and... You know, as you work up through the different layers, as you go to players who, who almost go up to the LPGA, you know, there's always a constant look to the next level and say, oh, what should I do? Or should I be doing the same things as them? And, and with Brooke, it was never like that. It was always, okay, what can you do better? How can we do that? And let's judge there again. So she won by three or four or five shots, or she finished second or third by three or four or five shots. It was never about holding the trophy. It was always about, you know, how could I have done better in that event and what can I do next? 
It's interesting to hear you talk about the fact that she practiced like she played. I mean, it's a real lesson for a lot of people listening to this show who are, you know, hopefully interested in the mental side, the mental approach to golf. And even, I guess, I guess it's, I don't know, maybe it's instinctual for some uh, elite players that she made her practice uh, very similar to how the, the experience on the golf course is. I don't think a lot of people do that. No, for sure. And, and it's hard to do, you know, unless you've been in a situation before, it's hard to imagine something. Uh, approaching it to you and I think there's a lot of confusion around that I don't think that players really imagine a crowd or imagine that you know they're they're holding a pot in the in the final green of the Masters I mean I think they're dreams for sure but the imagination comes into play where you know they picture targets or they picture windows that they're going to hit through and they rehearse you know being precise with different things so that when they're in that situation that that's what they can rehearse and I think you know there's a grey area there in terms of visualisation I think Tim might be a good person to talk about that but you know, there, there, there's a lot of things talked about, but, you know, it, it's actually a very simple thing. It's, you know, picking very precise targets and being happy with the window um, of a target that you've picked so that you can gain confidence in yourself. You know, so many golfers, they hit directly out of flag on the range. And, and the reality is in golf, you rarely hit directly at something. You tend to hit between windows, between the edges of the fairway, between the flag and the edge of the green, between the, the, the flag and the bunker. You, you know, and if you practice that way, you can really get good at, at hitting your targets. Mm. How was how did you see Brooks development in terms of her resiliency to to deal with pressure? Um, I mean she came the, the number one player in the world as an amateur. She turns professional, she gets on the tour, she asks to get uh, tour membership, she's denied so she's got a got to play and then in, wasn't it one of her first or second tournaments on the tour, she was like contended down the stretch now she didn't quite close it off but obviously she did so what type eventually and she won by eight shots uh, i forget the name of the event but where where did you see in terms of her progress in terms of her resiliency to to perform at that highest level what did you see there yeah i, I think that's a constant uh, over the years you know i think that through the course of the year, she certainly had letdowns. You know, if you think of the, the U.S. amateur, she got to the final in the previous year, um, and that was a big letdown for her. And you know, dealing with with uh, disappointments is is a huge part of being able to, when you get to that moment, um, being able to move on again. And you know, I think everything that, that she's done, both wins and losses, we tried to frame in a way that uh, was around some sort of development. And I think that's how you have to look at things, and that's how you gain resilience because. If you judge yourself by wins in golf, you, you're you know you're going to be an unhappy golfer for a long time because it happens so rarely. You so, don't win much. You know you've got to, No, you don't. You got to judge it by your own performance. You got to judge by you know am I progressing? And uh, you know I think that's where her family network is very very good. You know she's got a strong network of you know, her sister and her parents who are very supportive and and you know who uh, who will knock her down a rung or two if, if she mm. gets too far ahead of herself, but also. I was there for any time that uh, that there are any issues or you know some performances that could be better or not, and, and I think that's important. Now, you, I thought I think Tim brought up an interesting point because you know around this young person's development. Uh, you know, taking a, a bunch of big steps, amateur to professional, she had this weird little shadow over her. The fact that, you know, her group asked for membership was denied. And now there she is trying to have to, I know, whatever the route was, Monday qualify or she Monday qualified. Um, which would, you know, would for a lot of people, that specter would be even greater pressure. And yet, for some reason, she seemed to 
um, stick to her routine. And as you said, she didn't look around. Uh, she didn't make it bigger than it was. She just kind of went on and, and, and got about her business. I mean, that's a pretty yeah, rare sure. quality. Yeah, it, it was almost almost motivation, uh, to be honest. Yeah. It was, okay, look, I'm going to prove that, that I'm good enough for this. And, uh, and that, that it, you know, she turned into something that she was going to do. It became... You know, it was almost a, an important step in development. You know, she was turned down, and that became okay. Well, I'm going to have to do it this way, and that's you know the, the resilience to to play the schedule that she had, which was a very difficult thing to do. I mean, I, I don't think at the start of the year yeah. that you would plan the schedule that she played sure. and, and think I, that that was the right thing to and do. And as Tim also mentioned, um, she won her first LPGA tournament as, as a Monday qualifier by eight shots. Nothing says f you <laughs> <laughs> like winning a golf tournament that you have started on Monday. By eight shots. How, how, were you there that day she won? No, no, I wasn't. Uh, what was that I phone was, call like but, after? Well, I actually saw her the next day. So the, the Canadian Open, the way the schedule was, was on Monday. So uh, we left it from there. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pretty awesome because it's a culmination of so many things. You know, I think it's almost an emotion, emotional drop. Um, to go, wow, it's happened. Um, but uh, she had so many things happen straight after that. that I it, bet. <laughs> you know, it was a roller coaster. And then, you know, it's, I think some of the hard things to deal with when you and you are actually successful is, is the realization that it's just a job. And then, you know, when you have a huge high like that, that uh, that, that Monday rolls around and you still got to do your laundry and you still got to do an interview and the next tournament rolls around and someone else is about to have that, that attention. And that's, you know, that that's another journey that, that has to be learned. Yeah, I was. Uh, I saw her play at the uh, Canadian Women's PGA at Burlington this year, and it struck me that there was such a difference between the way she carried herself on the course and the way a lot of the other uh, competitors did. When things would not work out for the other players, they would slump over, they would get slower, and uh, Brooke just, just walks very with a good pace. She moves along. Her pre-shot routine is very brisk. I mean, she just gets on with her business and just doesn't seem to get um, get upset by anything. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, that I think that's a work in progress. She, she was someone who, who did, you know, get a little upset when things didn't go so well. And, and uh, you know, more for her, it wasn't necessarily that it was bad shots, but it wasn't capitalizing on good shots. And that mm. can have just the same negative effect. Right. Well, I'm, uh, Tristan, you know, she's 17 years old. I have a 17-year-old daughter that was, won't talk to me some days because I made the wrong pasta. <laughs> I mean, let's be serious. She's a kid. That's what blows me away. Like, you know, I find yeah, the fact sure. that she's 17 and still talking to her parents pretty cool. Um, listen, yeah, Tristan. I, I definitely tended to read the newspaper more before I talked to her, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I, it is an amazing thing. And, and um, I guess I, I, I know we're all about the mental side of golf. But just before we let you go, what uh, what do you see in terms of her golf swing? Is there lots of room to to improve, or what do you guys work on, or is it a combination of short game, mental game, long game, or do you think that she's yeah, got a good combo? It's a combo for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, she's got a very unique golf swing. You know, she's something that she she brought up herself. I think if I listened to every comment over the years about what what should change. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'd probably have a, a whole book full of different things. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I think you have to look at everybody as an individual, and, and what she could do is she can make the ball do what she wanted. And any changes that we made were around uh, trying to make sure that she was uh, going to have a long career, that there wasn't any injury risk, and that uh, you know that she was able to play a variety of shots. So you know we made some little changes at our golf swing yeah. over the years, but nothing nothing major. It was more around the physical side of things, improving balance, the coordination, moving different types of shots, 
the biggest stuff we did was all around short game, learning a variety and, and, and becoming a better putter. That was something that she wasn't a great she wasn't a great putter when she was younger. She, you know, over the course of the last three or four years, her ball striking has improved. But uh, you know, the reality is that she's scoring and she's able to, to do what she's doing to golf courses now because she's actually capitalizing on the chances that she always created. Tristan Mullally, thanks for uh, talking to us. Now that we've established you're not from Smith Falls, um, <laughs> it's great speaking to you. Hope you had a nice time. And uh, sometime if you're in town, we'll get you in here live, okay? That's perfect. Thanks, guys. All right. Have a good morning. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. It's getting better all the time. I used to get mad at my school. Um, how old are your kids? Uh, 20 and uh, 21. Yeah, and they're boys, right? They are. And uh, did you ever get them involved playing golf? They like to play. Yeah, actually, Corey's a Corey got down to about I think about a ten handicap when he was about fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, it's funny because both my kids are uh, they were around the game. Uh, I've got two daughters uh, with boys' names, um, Charlie and Spencer. And Spencer's a 17-year-old. She uh, she probably has the a good temperament for it because she's very competitive. But uh, they just never seem to... I sent them to a golf camp one summer. I don't think they... Uh, they just like to be around... I think, like a lot of kids, they like to be around me because I was around the golf course all the time. They just like to drive the cart and then go get ice cream. I was really lucky. I, I lived seven minutes from Blue Springs Golf Club in Acton, and they have this academy, this little course there. And it's a perfect layout because um, you can play three holes and go back to the clubhouse five holes seven holes back and so it was perfect so yeah. we could play like two or three holes and that's it popping chips good enough and then they just started to play more and more particularly Corey. and it was just access you know, it was just you know i i think it's important for kids to start when they're kids because even if they leave it alone for a while and they take it up again in their late 20s and 30s at least they have some kind of idea of the physical aspect of it because it i, I mean i don't know i'm I'm sure there's a scientific study. I think it's the toughest game to learn as a grown-up uh, because you just don't, first of all, you don't have the time, and uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the mental as- aspect of it. I was just laughing because I was thinking about my 17-year-old, and when I was a kid, I'd say to my dad, hey, can I have a, a dollar, and that would last me like a week, and I could buy a house with it. And um, <laughs> you know, But I'm just saying, like, you know, your father would give you money, and I'd go get you know, french fries and gravy, and I'd be at the golf course all weekend. And, and, and now my 17-year-old, her baseline, request for money is $20. And the other day she asked me during the break, she said, uh, Daddy, can I have some money for the train? I said, sure. I only had like a 10 and a 5 on me. And I said, I only have this. And here's what her response. She goes, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I said, pardon me? She goes, what am I supposed to do with $15? I said, well, when I was a kid, I could have literally, I could have bought a golf course. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? If I'd ever said that to my dad, he would have smacked me. Uh, Rob Jacoby is a, an 18 handicapper. By the way, you're listening to our little show called Swing Thoughts. It's available as a podcast now on iTunes. You can subscribe to it. Paul, uh, Rob has been uh, playing golf for 35 years, so he did begin it as a kid, I guess, in, in his, somewhere in his teens, early 20s. Along with uh, our other guest, Paul Gortner, is a uh, 30-year-old uh, ice dancer. <laughs> uh, Rob, is if you're in the financial business? Yep. Yeah, that's true. And uh, what kind of what kind of business do you just take? I people specialize to... in, in pe- I make pension plans for individuals. Okay, and then Paul Gortner, uh, after a uh, long and storied career with the Ice Capades. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Thank now you for works, that, Howard. He worked for uh, 
Really? Some big... Uh, no, that's the complete bullshit. <laughs> you work for Deloitte and Touche. That's correct. And Paul is a, a very bright uh, vice president of something. Or so I don't know what he does. <laughs> VP at 30? Wow. No, I don't know. What are you, a director? Are you what? senior manager at the late Senior LLP. manager. Oh, okay. So we're talking, uh, you know, uh, Paul is a uh, plus one, plus two handicap, uh, plays a lot of tournaments. Uh, he and his partner just recently qualified for a prestigious uh, better ball uh, tournament in the States, a big USGA tournament. What is that tournament? That's right. It's a USGA four-ball tournament happening in May next year at Wingfoot down in New York. Wow. Uh, Paul's played in the Canadian Amateur, the Ontario Amateur. He's won the club championship at his uh, golf course a bunch of times. And uh, and Paul, uh, I, I say this not to make, and Rob's done some nice things too. Now, if I win a cigar or a cocktail at the end of the round, that's that's my trophy. I've played with Rob a bunch <laughs> of times, and we have a freaking blast. Okay. Uh, I, and the funny thing, I was, you know, I haven't played with Rob. I'm sure he's an affable fellow. I will say this. He's garrulous. Uh, having a, a been a scratch and played with a lot of good players, Paul is by far the most fun plus two handicap you will ever play golf with. Because a lot of the guys, and, and I'm backing me up or not, but a lot of guys that play at that level are dicks. <laughs> and they just yeah, are. Yeah. Especially, uh, they're dicks day to day. But in a tournament, they're super dicks. <laughs> super dicks. And uh, I could name a couple. I could name a very famous Canadian uh, super golfer who is a giant dick to play with. But I would say one of the first things, I've only been playing golf with Paul for a few summers, but one of the first things that struck me about him is that he's an excellent player, but the most fun to play with. Which is a rare quality, um, and it's uh, I think it's a good quality whether you're an 18 handicap or you're you're shooting 67. But it makes a statement about what it takes to play good golf. You don't need to be focused and uh, like a pilot checking for you know deficiencies and lists and checking stuff. You know, and being on top of it. Mm-hmm. Actually, you play your best golf when you're having a good time. Yeah, I mean, you're out there for four or five hours too. So if you're not having fun, then it's going to be a long four or five hours. For Absolutely. Sure. In your experience uh, playing tournament golf, and, and I, I'm assuming you've been at it for some time, you know, you play a lot of invitationals. We've played a lot of stuff together. Do you find, because I've noticed a lot of the guys that you've introduced me to, some of your friends, they're all sort of similar. That dude we played with from Burlington, also a scratch golfer, really a good guy, fun guy to play with. And the day we played, uh, he wasn't playing very well, but it didn't matter. We had a good time. But is that your experience? Is that sort of a generational thing? You see most most guys seem to have more fun now, or is it is it just because of the group of friends you hang with? I think it be, could be generational. It could be the fact that we're, you know, we're mid-ams now, getting a bit older. We're 30-plus years old. We're not 18-year-olds trying to build a career out of it really and i think we're, we're now appreciating a bit more of the game and having some fun with it too while still enjoying the the competitive aspects of it and did you find it was other. when you were when you were younger and it was more competitive that the guys weren't didn't they took it more seriously absolutely i can remember playing some you know canadian junior golf association events where kids were really really serious and they didn't really know how to handle themselves out there when something went wrong and people got pretty heated whereas now you know, if people aren't playing very well, it's not the end of the world. You know, they still have a life. They still have families. They still have, enjoy their life for living in Canada. So it's not it's not the end of the world if something goes wrong now. Well, I noticed a big difference. I had played in the uh, Willie Park years ago when I was uh, in my late 30s, early 40s. I played it a few times. And, and at that time, I think I took the game 
uh, more seriously than I do now and, and enjoyed it less, ironically enough. And I, and I came back and played the Willie this year, and I had a, we had a great time. You know, I, I, I played with a bunch of younger guys because I, I played in the uh, sort of the junior division, the under-55 division. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, I, all my buddies were playing 18 holes. It was a brutal day. Um, but I had a great time. I played with guys in their early 20s, and, and we, we just ha- I had more f- I had fun hanging out with these guys. And I, and I think because they, they're past the point of thinking they're going to get on some tour, Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so Rob, uh, your experience in golf is that uh, on on a good day you're going to shoot uh, eighteen bogeys. So on a, on a par seventy two golf course, you're going to shoot ninety. What is your what would your what would your high water mark in the summer be? Eighty five. Best well, typically yeah. I'd like to aim for mid eighties. So when I say I'm an eighteen, I, truthfully I'm a fourteen, but I say I'm an oh, eighteen so go. I can you know there try and win go. some money. And it's just you know. <laughs> you know not he, even when it comes to a, a show about the mental yeah. side, God, you know, guys are sandbagging. Uh, they're fucking I think, handicapped. I didn't think Tim was going to invite me. I should have oh, checked man. the computer. Tim told me that he he had the good golfer needed a hack so for this show. So this, I wasn't coming in as a fourteen. I'm really a fourteen. Okay, super now. So we're going to take you to the fucking tip and tuck. <laughs> so, okay. Even at 14. Yeah. So on, on a bad day, you're going to shoot 90. On a good day, you're shooting 80. On, on, what's your best round? In this? 81. 81. Done it a couple times. Never broke through 80. Jesus, I look forward to the day. But I think it's gone. No. Oh, come on. Unless and, uh, Timmy can help me with the mental side. <laughs> well, you know, you'd be surprised. So maybe that's what we can do today. So on, yeah. a, on, a, on a typical day... Uh, I've played with Paul uh, in sort of tournament conditions, like on our on our men's night, where yeah. you're counting every shot. And uh, I think the best uh, I always bug him because it was just a hilarious night. In fact, I think we were in the same cart, but Paul made nine birdies and shot sixty-seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, and mainly because he was screwing around, <laughs> we were screwing around. Uh, and in the last hole, somewhere on the golf course, because he started was a it was a shotgun. Uh, I think I said to somebody, I think Gortner's about to, he's putting for his ninth birdie. You know that, right? And he goes, yeah. I go, you know, there's only 18 holes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this is, that's clearly half. And, you know, I said that out loud. I go, that's clearly half the holes. That's <laughs> um, good math. Good let's math. start with that as maybe as, a, as something that maybe Rob could listen to. What, what's your, only, I, I mentioned this because, you know, you say, oh, okay, I can't break 70 or can't break 80. Or my 81s, 82s, and I typically shoot 84, 85, and 86. But what's your, what's your, that night in particular, you knew you were having a good night in terms of birdies. What's going through your mind on your ninth birdie putt and your first birdie putt? Um, you know, the ninth one definitely going through my mind is, you know, it doesn't really matter if it goes in or not because I've already made eight and I'm pretty happy with the day. Um, on the first one, it's just, you know, another round of golf and, you know, am I capable of making this putt? And yeah, I mean, I am capable. I mean, I, I kind of approach a competitive round of golf now where there's no shot out there that I'm not capable of hitting. And, you know, I'm not going to hit every shot the way I want to, because that's just ridiculous. And PJ tour players don't hit every shot the way that they want to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, um, you know, really just approaching it from a process perspective and one step at a time and removing yourself from, from the result, I think, is the best way to approach it. Yeah, so there's two really key things there. Is One is process, and the other is res- removing yourself from result. So was there a time in your development when you started really caught on, hey, I'm, I'm a pretty competitive player? Did you consciously develop a process and become aware of, of that? 
Uh, for sure. I, I mean, I've talked to people about it before. I spent a lot of time working with, with Sean Casey, Duncan Abbott. We've talked about this before, is trying to remove yourself from the result and really building up that process of the routine, which helps you stay away from that result because it really tries to control your, your mind and what you're thinking about. And it's not easy to do. I mean, I still right. struggle with this as well, where, um, you know, removing, not thinking about where you, what you're shooting or is it put for birdie or eagle. It's not easy to do. And like I said, I still struggle with it. But, um, mm-hmm. but and, it's and it's funny because I think that night... As time went on, um, I almost I was almost more invested in the process than he was, only because, and, I, and again, I've played a lot of golf. I've played with everyone from PGA Tour players to, you know, really, really fine amateurs, and I'd never seen that. In fact, I was hoping he'd make that birdie because it, it was something I, I don't think I'd ever seen eight birdies, but I certainly had never seen nine up close. And and I and I think I was more nervous. And and when he sank it, I was like, you know, we were all excited. And, and he was just he, Paul has kind of an an equilibrium about golf that I think is something that is teachable and learnable. Mm-hmm. And I think that just going back to that night, I mean, that night, as we mentioned before, was was great because it was it was very easy and it was very comfortable, very comfortable environment. And yes, it was a tournament round, we'll say, but yeah. it wasn't a, a serious tournament round. Sure. And also, you know, we've played that course a million times. And it's very comfortable out there to, to hit good shots because you've done it before. You have that prior experience with, with doing it, so it's a much easier to actually execute them. Right. Well, I'd like to ask Rob, now we've heard from Paul about that experience of just, you know, it was easy, comfortable. When you are playing and you kind of go, oh, I kind of got it going today, and you have a birdie putt or maybe even two birdie putts in a row, consecutive holes yes <laughs> what is it like for you out there is there do you become aware do you become aware of your own level of stress or anything like that well it's funny i might be a strange guy on all this but when i'm playing well it's because i got songs going through my head i got music going through my yeah, head. yeah i know i get it so when that's going on i guess that's just levity right you're just uh you're having a good time out there and it just it's clicking you know there's a phrase that uh a bunch of things that are golf centric one is everyone has their choke point or everyone has their you know that point where they start to it starts to get them interested for a a fourteen for an eighteen handicap that plays like a fourteen. Um, <laughs> Jesus, golfers are such liars. <laughs> um, but what, whatever that number is, what what is it for you? Like when you when you whether it's a few birdies or whether five or six holes have gone by and you're one over or two over, what is the number? Or, or, or do you know that number? I only know it after nine holes. It's after nine holes. You know if I'm if I'm real close to 40, then I know, okay, I got a chance here. Because I'm, I'm always just thinking of the chance, right? I just, I just That number I want to break that, that that's elusive. So it's a nine-hole measure for me. And if after nine holes I'm sitting with a 45 or a 47 on the card, then I'm visiting the halfway house. And we're going to have fun on the back. To hold, it's just going to be a whole different. <laughs> yeah. So what you're saying is you, that you, you, don't know your, you don't know your choke point. You know your I'm getting hammered point. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, the two rolling rocks, tall boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny uh, just to hear the language. I mean, one of the people that Tim's exposed me to, and you know, Tim's been helping me uh, quite a bit, is Carl Morris. And one of the concepts that Morris talks about is is not having a running tally, right. not thinking nine holes are gone. Here's where I'm at. His premise, and maybe you can clean this up for me, is basically you're nothing until you've signed the card. You don't have a score yet. Your whatever you are isn't isn't official until you've finished 18 holes. So you may be four over after f- nine, but you're not. 
you're nothing yet. You, you haven't finished a round. Because you don't know. You might have the next nine holes might be the best you've ever played, and you're going to be four under in the next nine holes. But the point is, until you get to 18, you haven't posted anything. Is that similar? Is that, no, you, no, you absolutely nailed it. So in a hockey game, you score two goals. You have those goals. But if you're, if you're two over or two under, you don't own that because something could happen and you because that's just the way golf goes. In you don't have a scoring. Yet. That's right. And that whole being cognizant of score is one of the number one killers for golfers is that they just have this piece and it just they're working towards, oh, this is the day or I got a career around going and just builds up tension. It builds up expectations. And then but what Rob said, I think is very telling, too. It's like you have a number yep. where after nine holes you review how close or far away you are and then you have you know if you're close you only have one rolling rock if you're <laughs> far away two and a chili dog uh, <laughs> but maybe that's a, a good place to that somebody like tim uh might be able to help in that you know doesn't matter you know I, we, we have a, a friend paul and i a very fine player probably three or four handicap and uh, but he has a he has two speeds. Either he's going to play great or after a couple holes, he gets very discouraged and that's the end of the round. And I've, I've said to him a couple times ago, you know, you're too good a player to be to give up when you've made two double bogeys because it doesn't matter because you have the ability to make a bunch of birdies and play the rest of this round. And in fact, I said this to him. I said, you, ne- you just never know when the next couple of holes are going to be the best you've ever played. I, I'm, I'm not sure you know what I'm talking about. I think I do. Yeah, the brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, what were you going to say, Rob? Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I always maintain that golf is very difficult on, on on youngsters, like my kids. And I think about my youngest in particular, Tristan, and that what I do with him when I'm out there, because he wants to focus on the score because he wants to match older brother, right? Yeah. And I just break it down for him, and I call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you're going to have all those when you're out there. And I said, don't freak out in the first couple of holes if, you know, the score's not going your way. You know, those are your bads or your uglies. So let's get them out of the way and move on to the good. So that's sort of a twist on what you're saying about score. Well, and, and, and it applies to you. And I mean, someone like Paul who, you know, it's, I mean, a lot of people would hear and go, well, it's easy if you're a plus two. Or it's easy if you're a five handicap because you know at the beginning of the round um, that you're going to shoot a number that you'd be excited to shoot, um, but but you have bad rounds. I've I've seen you, uh, you know, shoot seventy six and seventy seven, and and I and I think that what's good about the way you approach it is, you know, you don't make it seem like it's the worst thing in the world. No, I mean, it, it, as we talked about earlier, it's not the worst thing in the world, and life will go on and everything will be fine. But I mean, it's tough sometimes when you're in a, a round, and I mean, I've had rounds where I make mistakes, but I still play pretty well and i've had rounds where i make doubles and triple bogeys but somehow i'm able to, to bring it back and grind out a score um but it, i think it really comes back to that realization that you know every shot that you hit there's nothing there's nothing wrong with with hitting a bad shot because it's all about the expectations and move removing yourself from the result and you know, you're not going to hit every shot the way that you want to it, just like the pj tour players aren't so but when you so what about you when you have uh, again, I, I, I talked to Rob a little bit about that point, you know, after nine holes. What about you? Like when, like, okay, forget the, the, the night you made nine birdies, but I, I played a couple other times early on before we were buddies. I played once with you on men's night where Paul shot like 69. We're all sitting around there after, 
And everyone's talking about what they shot, and this guy's 73 and 4 and whatever. And I said, does anyone know that Gortner shot 69? Because it was almost like they take it for granted. He does it so much. And I said, you know, there anyone else here at this table shoot 69? We're heading downtown. <laughs> like, like, it would have been phenomenal for us. So because you take that number for granted, when do you get, or do you get, um, I was going to say aroused, but I really don't want to know. <laughs> when, do, when does your attention, when, is, when does a, a round get your attention, and how do you deal with it? Um, I think it's not too unlike um, any golfer, really. I mean, when I'm having a good round, if I start in the first four or five holes and I'm a couple under par, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty excited about that, to be honest. I mean, uh, unfortunately, I haven't quite mastered the skill of removing myself from my score, so I still do I still. Quite honestly, I know where I am at all times. Mm -hmm. Whether I'm consciously thinking about it or not, I always know where I am. If someone were to ask me, where are you right now in the seventh, eighth hole, I know exactly where I am in relation to par. So, But, I mean, I get excited when, I, when, I, when I'm a couple under par, and I know that I have a lot of holes left to really do something, and, I, and I'm capable of doing it. That really gets me going, and I like, uh, I like being in that position, um, which I don't think a lot of people do. A lot of people kind of get scared when they, mm -hmm. they're having their best round ever, and they, they, really, they really get themselves out of it. They... they they think start thinking about the best score and then things just don't quite pan out the way they want to because they're so focused on shooting that number as opposed to um just sticking to the process and trying to figure out what you know how to how to shoot the actual best score yeah um, one step at a time well one of the interesting things is um is the way people identify themselves with their scores um i know that people listening would go like if they shot 69 Oh my God! They they would be Nirvana. They'd be so happy, you know. Finally, their life would mean something. But I, what I find with good players is they don't identify. Their their self worth doesn't go up or down with their scores. It's just they're okay. If they shoot sixty nine, they drive home happy. If they shoot seventy eight, they drive home happy. Right. Um, it's and it's uh, again if you're a fourteen slash eighteen handicap. By the way, Rob Jacoby is available for scrambles and member <laughs> <laughs> yes, guests. Um, but you know, I, I, if if you if you're able to shoot on a forget uh, course ratings and slope. If you're a, a seventy two par golf course, you can shoot eighty six. Um, I believe, and I think Tim does too. Because that's kind of the premise of our show. I believe you can shoot 79 without doing anything too drastic to your golf motion. I think a lot of players at, at that level between 10 and 20 handicappers believe, wow, if I only had a swing like Paul Gortner, sure, it would be easy. But again, I've seen Paul hit horrible shots. <laughs> Not a lot of them, but some. Uh, and, and I think a lot of what happens in a round of golf for Rob um, have a lot less to do with how you hit the ball because you must hit it nicely enough to shoot 86. Again, a lot of people listening would be going, wow, man, if I could shoot 86, yeah. that would be great too. So we're, maybe we can, in this, in this last segment now, we can talk a little bit about, and again, this is the 14 handicap intervention, about <laughs> what you do in a round of golf that Paul might have a different strategy for that might help you take something away from this to improve your game in 2016. So what do you think? Like, when you make a mistake, I'll start by asking. When you make a mistake, what tends to be the mistake? Is it a three-putt? Is it a skull chip? Is it a, a poor decision? Like, if you had to think about, okay. Oh, I know man, the answer. I know the answer in spades. You know, okay. What yeah. do you think? What is well, it? for me, it's just it's bunker play. I get into a bunker. I even see a bunker. I'm going to hit the bunker. And when I'm in the bunker, I just make a mess of things. It's, 
it's bunker play. So, <laughs> so for instance, um, like you get into a bunker and it takes you a couple to get out of it. Yeah, I want to pick her clean and send her flying, you know? So how much time in a summer would you spend practicing your bunker shots? Oh, I can do well in practice bunkers. I work with my man Mark Ranger, and I'm great, boy, when it's uh, when we're in the practice. It's it's then taking it on the course. I have no idea, and it's up to Tim to fix that for me. It's a tough one. You Have to. Have you seen him hit a bunker shot? I, can't, I didn't play with him <laughs> Is this, it like a this nightmare? summer. <laughs> I don't recall it. Might have been too many rolling rocks, but... Um, no, um, I don't recall that with you, but the key piece is just to be able to, to finally work on your motion for sure, but able to pull it off in a game. And sometimes you just have to endure the hell and just go through it. And then over time, something will click, and then it's just taking that feeling and replicating it again, knowing you've done it. And that, and sometimes that takes a while because it really is like instinctually, subconsciously, your your body's going, nope, this this he ain't ready for this, <laughs> and this ain't gonna happen. And until you do, then you'll be able to get. So there's no magic pill. That's the hard part in in this. But once you do it, and then you're able to replicate it, and replicate it, and do it again, build evidence. Then gradually you'll get get to do it. I it's, mean, and there's I think there's that's perfect. But there, and there's there's a lot of, you know, one of the things that uh, Brooke Henderson's coach said that I thought is really really applies to the amateur golfers listening is that you know to to put yourself in a mindset in practice and in your case maybe in a bunker where you don't have a bunch of golf balls you've got one at a time and it, and it, even the, even the act of one golf ball makes you. A little bit, it, it, height, it heightens your awareness a little bit because that is the only ball you're going to hit on, on this particular shot. Well, whatever it is, um, that's only a couple shots around. I mean, you're you're hitting the ball well enough to shoot 81 to 88. There's more than just bunker. Sh- I mean, that, there, that's a big one. I mean, if that blows three or four shots, then it also psychologically screws up the rest. You know, it can it can help uh, in, inform the rest of your round, but. Um, what do you see, Paul, when you're playing with guys, uh, mid-80 golfers, that, that you can sort of go, wow, I'm, you know, if he could only maybe not do that? Well, it, it's, I think it comes down to basic, really, decision-making out there. I mean, I see a lot of guys out there, you know, the flag might be tucked behind a bunker or something in a really tough position, and they're just going right at it. They're not even thinking about how they're going to approach the hole and get the ball in the hole in the least amount of strokes possible. They just see the flag. They see, they see it might be tough, but they're going right at it. You know, they're not thinking about aiming 10 feet right of it, hitting it on the green, and leaving themselves a 10, 15-foot birdie putt. It just seems that that doesn't really cross their mind to do that. Um, so I think the strategy behind it and, and really making good decisions before you actually hit the shot is probably the, the biggest thing I see. You know, one of the great phrases is, you know, like, you know, if you were to caddy, if I were to caddy for Rob or you were, you know, um, we would never give you a club or never, never ask you to hit a shot that you couldn't hit. So let's say it came to the bunker play, which is a bit of a thing for you. Rather than try and hit toward the flag, we might say, you know what? Just, you know, hit it fat out into the fat part of the green. And, and you know, a friend of mine, uh, uh, Laird uh, White, yep. uh, another good teacher. Yep. But he always says, you know, mission one is to get it on the green. You don't have to get it close. Your mission isn't to even get it anywhere near the flag. It's just to get it out of the bunker. And I think just that shift in the paradigm of what you're trying to do kind of lowers your... Um, 
a, your net your tension level because that's all it is. Yeah. You can you can hit a bunker shot. You can describe the, a proper technique. Yeah. It's just that when you come to that in a round, you're thinking, "I suck at this. I've got to somehow get it close." You don't. You're not trying to save anything. You're just trying to not scull it into your face. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's that emotional, physical being able to just keep it to a. a you know, a nice calm sea as opposed to up and down, uh, you know, wavy, wavy beach. And that's and that's really the key, I think, right there in many ways is just let's be able to sort of manage ourselves. So we're kind of we're calmer. We're having fun. We're not white knuckle and we're not. This is life or death. And oh, no, if I don't get it out of the bunker, I'm yet failing again. If we can just get ourselves a little calmer. And I think that speaks volumes to what Howard was saying is that. Maybe aim, just get it out of the bunker, the shallowest part. Just get it out, and it's like a golfer struggles on a on a par five or a par four with the driver. Hit five iron until you can finally start make a connection, and then build your way up. So you're. Uh Tim's been working uh, with uh, some golfers, myself. I know you're going to, you know, have some conversations with Paul. You've played with Rob, so. What do you tell, like, what, what's, the, what's the takeaway for someone listening that's a, a 14 handicap and somebody who's a, already an elite player? Do you work with them differently? Is, is the message the same, which is, you know, have fun, uh, be a good person to play with, try not to be, a, you know, a dick? Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, 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 I'm not putting words <laughs> in your mouth. Uh, I get the feeling that Rob's a good guy to play with. I do get the feeling, too, like, you know, you said about your bunker play. I, I, my, I, do your buddies go, oh, great, Jacoby's in the bunker. We've won this hole. Yeah, all good. <laughs> they know it. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the key, th- I find, whether it's a good player or an average player, it's not identifying yourself with your game. So many players, if, if I shoot a good round, I'm a, I'm a good person. I feel good. I'm getting guys saying, hey, way to go, pal. And then they're also going, oh, I must be good. I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. It's being able to just remove yourself from that and just have have fun. I know it sounds really, really easy. It's easy to do. It is hard, but it's like not just identifying yourself with it and just being cool with it and having fun and accepting yourself. But what about Rob in terms of like I've, I've played enough rounds of golf I, uh, with Gortner here. You know, I can kind of see... And, and I'm familiar with the way that Paul approaches a shot. He has a p- very specific, not rigid, but a specific way of hitting a golf shot. Yeah, I've got a routine. A yeah. routine. Um, and again, it's sort of uh, almost like a, a fingerprint. It's describable. I can see it. What about you? Do you have a, when you're approaching, do you, could you say to yourself or say to us, okay, this is how I hit a shot? Yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, I do work on, on the swing and I can... I can tell when I'm comfortable, and it starts with the loose grip and what have you, for sure. I don't know. In my mind, I mean, I'm going to start working with Tim, for sure. I've made that you know, that decision last Tim year. O'Connor, Tim O'Connor. Tim O'Connor. Uh, <laughs> performance coach, Glen Abbey Academy. That I, Tim. And I thought the missing ingredient for me was just, again, I have to play the music through my head, and I just figured I haven't found the right song to play. <laughs> and uh, once, once we find that. And, and get, i got to get rid of the golf shoes. I do play my best in bare feet. So Well, you were saying That's, before we started, you said yeah. my best round, I was uh, wearing a sombrero <laughs> with a veil, barefooted, yeah. and a skirt. I, oh, what was it? Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't remember. Well, the boys were, it was, you know, and I turned the big 5-0, and the boys were waiting for me at the golf course to play. And uh, I arrived late in my typical fashion. I was having fun. Uh, on the way to the golf course and so I had uh, some eye makeup on to look like <laughs> Malcolm McDowell from you know <laughs> Clockwork Orange and I was wearing a nice Grand Marnier scarf that Stroby gave me and uh, 
Yeah, and I had my sandals, and I, it was the best uh, sort of six holes is all I could play, but it was uh, the best six holes I've ever put together in my life. Because it's, it's, yeah. it's fun. I mean, that's what you... Golf is fun. It's a chance to be out in the outdoors with buddies. You know, I mean, one of the things, I mean, I hear it read about it all the time around 2016 is gratitude. And there's a lot of almost sanctimony around that. Not really. It's just being happy. You've got this body that allows you to play this access, this certain degree of privilege, be on a beautiful golf course. Man, I mean. And yet, as you say that, there's going to be people listening. That are saying, okay, that's great. If I do the gratitude and have fun and wear a, a makeup, uh, well, I shoot better scores. <laughs> um, that really is, it's, it's such a, um, that's why it's such a, an interesting game, I think, is that because, because there is such a, there's so much of yourself invested in it. And it always, it has this number attached to it. Yeah. When, uh, you know, and it's funny, over the course of last summer, I went, I, I was, I really wanted to play well. And then as soon as I stopped caring if I played well, I played so much better. As soon as we started having fun together, I played so much better. And, and I would start most rounds thinking, I really don't care how this goes today. And ironically enough, most days it went okay uh, in terms of feeling good about whatever I shot. And ironically, my average around the number came down drastically over the course of the summer. So... Uh, whatever you did to prepare for your 50-year-old round, I, I don't know if we're going to go. It is. It's always eye about preparation. His <laughs> eye makeup. <laughs> and uh, Paul Gortner, uh, thanks for doing this. Thank you for Do having me. Do you have any final thoughts? Well, I think I think Tim just hit it right there with the preparation comment. I think, you know, when I'm looking for a, a good round of golf, it really comes down to preparation. It might not be to the same level as my friend here, but, uh, you know, it's, there's certainly preparation, I think, is the big key for getting ready for a round of golf. And... Um, what is your? What, what, I don't. It's funny because the night you made the nine birdies, you shot sixty-seven because you, you know, shit the bed on four holes. Um, <laughs> what is? Uh, no, like seriously, who makes nine birdies and shoots sixty-seven? This is the best part of the story. What is your lowest uh, round uh, there, and what's your lowest round ever? Uh, lowest round is uh, sixty-five, so seven under. And funny enough, it was in similar circumstances to the round that we played in. It was in, in a men's night, and it was a, a fun environment, pretty casual, um, but still a bit competitive. Um, but yeah, it was a similar thing, just having fun with the guys. And lo and behold, I hit eighteen greens regulation that day, and just just happened. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, you're a, you're like a lot of people. Most golfers are aware of where they are in the round. Were you aware that? Uh, at some point, you were seven under with a hole, or did, was it was your seventh? Was the seventh birdie or whatever on the last hole? It was, I believe, it was on the second or third last hole. But it's funny, you know. I, as I mentioned earlier, I certainly was aware. If you asked me at any time during that round, you know, where are you in relation to par, I could have told you. Um, but I feel like it was maybe just a bit easier to let go from that, just because you're in that fun environment and you're not thinking about it maybe as much as you would in a a really stressful tournament round. But were you protecting? being seven under as you played 17 and 18 yeah for sure yeah because you knew that was your lowest number what about you you said you haven't been able to break 80 yet and i guarantee you have the physical ability to do it uh, i say that because i, I again I, I believe anyone that can shoot in the low 80s can shoot in the highest he's the ball solid yeah obviously so ha- when you got close did you know on the day you shot 81 your best round that you were you were yeah I, you know i i was in the groove and it's a silly thing that happened but um my son was actually with me and, and was really working for me to get this he wanted he shoots uh, in the 70s all the time but we got waved ahead on the 12th hole and i played hurry up golf then 
you know, the, the people wave you through, and yeah. I rushed, I just rushed it, and that whole, I got into a bunker and blew it, and uh, uh, yeah. and that was it, man. It got it, it, it was gone in a fleeting moment. But you know, you know eighty one is only a couple shots away from seventy nine. You still yeah. had the rest of the round, but you were close. It's close. I was there, but yeah, you know, the numbers just couldn't work then, right? That was just in too much of a hole in that that one hole. Yeah, I, I have. A, well, what often happens is that we reach this point, and it's like, oh. There's a physical and a mental thing that goes on, and, and there's, there's cortisol released and all kinds of things, and just, it's really, we cross this this path, this, this line, and go, oh, it's done. And the focus is gone, the resiliency, it's, it's gone. And that's why trying to just divorce from number and just having fun is... And maintaining the sense of fun, and, and that's a hard thing to do for for us adult guys, because everything we tend to do in life, we want to control it, analyze it, work it, and golf to perform at a high level, you have to let go of that, and it's just having really, it's it's really having a good time. Tim's correct. I know one thing that physically I can feel a change. Uh, and it's been a recent experience. I was away early in uh, December, and on a couple of rounds. I was uh, a couple under, well under the round, like 12, 13. One day I was two, one under on the 14th hole. And I could just feel myself. Um, I, will, I will be, full disclosure, I may have been drinking. <laughs> but uh, not a lot. Yeah. And, not, and I was playing pretty good. And then I, uh, but it was the second round of the day. And I'm, I was telling Tim, like, I could just feel it getting a little bit nervous because I because I haven't been I haven't finished under par for a while and I knew it I've been getting close for a long time and I could just feel it tense being a little tense I didn't you know I made a couple of bad you know shots and bogeyed a couple holes ended up shooting 73 which is fine I mean a lot of people go wow I'd love to shoot 73 Mm -hmm. but when you're under par you're I'm thinking now how can I shoot 69 and that's it's what you said I think also you just have to get comfortable with being there you said that when you're a couple under after a few holes uh and i've talked to paul about this it's just learning to be comfortable with it again yeah learning that it's something that you're capable of doing i think is is key there right. for me anyway yeah. well and and, and i think it's going to be a key for me this summer because i know i'm capable of it i just need to kind of the same way that you're capable of shooting 79 in fact i predict like a lot of people who break through a number it won't be 79 it'll be like 76 one day mm. or 77 <laughs> right yeah well, I'll tell you what, I'll bring donuts if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, uh, Rob Jacoby, uh, financial wizard. Uh, look for him. The Jacoby Way has been recognized for years <laughs> as the uh, gold standard in financial planning. Paul Gortner, uh, you Google Paul and his uh, ice dancing days. Amazing. His triple uh, lux or whatever he did was uh, the envy of all. I don't know. You're talking about golf liars. I don't know. Yeah, you, exactly. you the man. I'm just trying to make it you sound the like they, I'm just trying to make them sound, uh, you know, something. And Tim O'Connor is the uh, mental performance coach at Glen Abbey Golf Academy, O'ConnorGolf.com. And uh, I'm... Uh, say what? CA. CA, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Uh, I am uh, broadcasting uh, fucking legend. I mean, let's be serious. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't even... I don't even... I can't... You know what? I, sitting around this table, I'm like a plus nine broadcast. I'm hanging around with a bunch of beginners. But plus you know what? plus felt- means good, right? That's the thing. Right, plus means good, right? Your mic right? Off now. It's uh, <laughs> great to have you. We'll talk to you again soon.